Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie, it's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary, maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. Hood on the left side, comes off a Gobert pick, steps behind the three-point line, and rocks it again! Rodney Hood puts the Jazz up 107-105. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's Locked On Jazz for the 13th of September. SI Top 50 is out. How many jazz players in the top 50? Anybody get left out of the top 100? We'll look at that. Plus, we'll do a crossover podcast with Locked On Blazers host Eric Garcia Gunderson and talk about the jazz and the Blazers. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz and Jazz NBA insider. Today, it's Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And today's show is brought to you by Devin Cash of Equity Real Estate. Have Devin help you out buying or selling your house, and he'll get you a pair of season tickets to see the Utah Jazz. That's a pretty good deal. I'll tell you more about that coming up. On the Locked On Podcast Network, we've got... Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball doing season previews across the board, plus crossover podcasts on the NBA all week. So some really good stuff. Locked On Wolves with Alan Horton launched uh, yesterday, as did Locked On Warriors with Danny LaRue. So good shows uh, there for you to add to your list. We've got a few for you. Locked On NFL's up and rolling. Vinny Iyer does a great job on the NFL. Uh, and Vinny... Uh, actually has an interesting new sponsor, by the way, called Sports Locker that's worth just taking a quick look at if you get a chance. It's an app on your on your iOS that's kind of got an awesome collection of it's almost it's got more information about players than you could imagine. So just you can check that out uh, along the way. And Locked On NFL with Matt Williamson as the week goes on, we'll have crossover podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network for you as well. That's when two teams are playing each other, the two hosts come together and do their podcast. Those have been uh, pretty wildly successful. All right, let's get straight to our pins across the world. It's Kevin Gammon, and he's in Lorba Linda, California. You can do this as well. Just email me who you are, uh, how you became a fan, and where you're listening from. My name is Kevin Gammon. I'm a huge jazz fan living in Lorba Linda, California. I grew up in Layton and Kaysville and remember being so excited when the jazz moved to Utah. I was a freshman in high school. I have some fun memories of the stars, fuzzy memories of the stars. Willie Wise was my favorite player, and I saw a young Dr. J. I became a jazz season ticket holder in 84-85 with my brother Ken. He worked in Ogden. I worked in Salt Lake, so we met at Crown Burger to get to games together. You know what? It's just so awesome. I love these stories because it just tells you how much the jazz are a part of our culture, multiple generation connections, or the things that keep family together. I, I really wonder if any other team in the NBA has that same kind of connection. It's just a we've got a really special thing 
uh, going on in this community with this team. Nonetheless, uh, I remember the great Adrian Dantley and the springy Daryl Griffith. I also remember Thurl Mark and a young stock in the old Salt Palace. We had seats about the fourth row and about five yards into the end zone. It was amazing to hear the players talking, see the physicality and speed of the game right in front of you. Served my mission from 87 to 89 in South Korea, and I vividly remember our young jazz, upstart jazz, almost upsetting the heated Lakers in the playoffs. I begged my family to send newspaper articles and clippings, and they even sent me a video of a game. I got special permission from my mission president, who was a basketball fan, to watch it. Fortunately, my companion was a sports fan from Orange County, and he was game. We asked a lady who was friendly with us who owned a convenience store if we could watch on her VCR and TV in the back of the shop. She readily agreed, but I don't think she realized how long we'd be watching this entire game. (laughs) Funny. After my mission, I joined the Army National Guard. Thank you very much for your service. I was activated and served in Persian Gulf War. Even more, thank you. A huge highlight of my time was getting a personal note and media guide from Frank Layden. My brother had reached out to the jazz organization. That's why Frank sent that. In my work career, I've lived in Boise, Memphis, and now Lorba Linda. Boise was a highlight. I got to see the Jazz preseason. My company was a major sponsor of the Grizzlies. So during my eight years in Memphis, I went to several games along the way. These days, I occasionally host clients at Lakers or Clippers games. By the way, Staples is a pretty awesome arena. Yes, it is. Anyway, my boss knows I'm a Jazz fan and tries to swing games against the Jazz. Though I live in Lakerland and have a group of friends, mostly from church, who are like-minded Jazz fans, we get together occasionally for watch parties. As for my other friends... I say I'm a long-suffering jazz fan, but I love it. I hope this email isn't too long and it's useful. By the way, I remember listening to your bombastic sports talk broadcast years ago in Salt Lake. Thanks for your passion and podcast. I hope to catch you at Staples. Thank you very much to Kevin Gammon. You can do the same at dlock09gmail.com. All right, let's go to uh, – so si.com has come out with their top 100 – uh, players, but they've come out with their top 50, and now they're going to count us down a little bit. Uh, so they released their top 50 players. Um, there were some interesting names in there. Ennis Cantor made 88. So, I mean, he's really become I mean, he's a max player, so I don't know if that's a sign of respect or, or what. Kind of young upstart players uh, who have an opportunity to uh, do more. Uh, Started the list. 100 was Devin Booker, 99 Aaron Gordon. Uh, then other names of interest. Evan Fournier was at 95, and I only thought that was interesting because I thought he was very similar to Bradley Beal in the offseason. He was much lower uh, along the way. Mason Plumley comes in at 93, who we'll talk a lot about actually uh, with Eric uh, Gunderson uh, coming up here. Uh, the Ennis Cantor, as I mentioned, was 88. Fareed was 87. I actually think Cantor might be better. Uh, and Amir Johnson was 86. I, I, I find myself as much as Ennis is a defensive liability, he's such an offensive force that you might move him uh, closer along the way uh, for some of these teams. Rudy Gay, who we talked about a lot this offseason, me, myself, and I talked about, was at 80. Tobias Harris was at 77. Victor Oladipo was at 74. Uh so we'll see. Um, he made a big jump last year. He will be interesting. The, the Thunder might be on some onto something there. We'll find out. Ricky Rubio came in at seventy-one. Kyle Korver at seventy. Kristaps Porzingis at sixty-nine. I thought this was really low. They had Andrew Wiggins at sixty-seven. And the guys they had after Andrew Wiggins were Thaddeus Young at 66, Marvin Williams at 65, Zach Randolph at 64, Greg Monroe, who barely can play anymore, at 63. That surprised me. Valanchunas at 62. I, I think I think that Wiggins is better 
than all these. J.J. Redick at 59. Uh, I'm surprised they have him that low. He's um, well, he's a top five impact offensive player in the league, top ten at least. I mean, he's his impact's incredible. Bradley Beal, 58. Um, Jeff Teague at 57. Remember that for a second along the way. So those were just some of the interesting players they had on the list. Jay Crowder, 53. So what about the Jazz players? Well, Joe Johnson did not make the list, which may or may not be surprising. They wrote, now in roughly his sixth year of decline when it comes to his scoring output and usage, Joe should fit snuggingly in a narrow role that can make use of his perimeter shooting ability, traditional size, uh, positional flexibility, and postseason experience. No longer a star, perhaps not even a starter. Though I'll tell you what, I think that's going to be interesting. Johnson, nevertheless, would be a quality addition to any team with playoff aspirations as he can continue offensively, uh, contribute offensively without dominating the ball and fill minutes adequately on the other end. I don't know if he'll start or not. I don't know if he'll come off the bench or not. I don't think that's defined. I think that'll be really a feel of how the group comes together. So who was ranked? Rodney Hood came in at 85. So Danny Green is higher at 69. Other kind of shooting guard types. Kyle Avery Bradley at 72. Victor Oladipo at 74. Um, who else? What other? Trevor Reza at 81. And then uh, Rodney Hood at 85. Uh, they wrote, there's a lot to love. This was by Ben Golliver, does good work. There's a lot to love about Hood's game. He can play with or without the ball. He can initiate pick-and-roll settings, space on the wing. He can read team defenses and find the open man. He can swing multiple positions on both offensive and defense. He can handle player playing starter minutes in the West, even though he's only 23. Meanwhile, Hood did all of that while playing on a Jazz team that had brutal point guard play and a laundry list of major injuries. There's no telling how high his utility might climb if he is cast as the third or fourth option behind established superstars or if Utah's core group can make it through an entire season unscathed. His one his 8.1 career win still ranks number one among the 2014 class members, and he can grow as a closer shooting just 40% in clutch situations, 24% from three. So they have Hood at 85, and they have George Hill at 56. I, think about this for a second. I mean, I don't want to go too crazy here or go too nuts, but George Hill at 56? Our old point guards might have been seriously in the 300s. What an insane upgrade. Only 12 players in the league last season finished with a higher three-point percentage than Hill. Only Kawhi Leonard and Clay Thompson be classified as good defense, superior defense players. They wrote that wing players who want the ball in their hands need a teammate like Hill alongside them to be effective in unassuming roles. Don't confuse Hill's default preference for inability. When put in situations where his individual creation is needed, Hill has swelled to fill the void. His smart, balanced uh, practitioner of the screen and roll with experience to run the offense, he also just happens to p- be perfectly willing to take a backseat when another teammate drives or puts up or pick up a challenging assignment to have someone else so help help someone else in trouble. Hill is a game for whatever. His open-minded play only serves to broaden his team's options. I mean, that's what's insane is when you think about George Hill at 56 and, I mean, where, if you did the whole league, where's Trey Burke? Where's Howell Neto? Shelvin Max, the best of the three. 
What an incredible, incredible change to who this franchise is when you make. And this is where I do think the Jazz could be really good. It goes back to when the Lakers traded for Pau Gasol and they replaced him with Kwame Brown. They went from the worst power forward in the league to like the third best and and then they became dominant. We're going from the worst, probably, second worst, 29th in the league point guard situation to probably 13th. And if Dante's good, then we're going to be like top eight or so at that position by the time you add depth. It's just crazy. Absolutely insane. Today's edition of Locked on Jazz is brought to you by Devin Cash Equity Real Estate. Right now is a great time to get out on the market and buy a house. Rates are still historically low, so things work well for you. And Devin can walk you through the process. You're not dealing with secretaries, receptions, coordinators. You're going to deal with Devin Cash. He's going to be your guy through the process. He might want to talk too much jazz basketball in between visiting homes or doing all those kind of things. And for that, who can blame him? And when you both listen to Locked on Jazz, you'll probably have similar thoughts. So you can just make fun of all my funny ticks and the coffee and all that. You know, just do that. So Devin Cash is going to help you. Really, if you're a first-time home buyer, that's his favorite thing to deal with. He says he likes to approach real estate with the heart of a teacher. Never make the clients feel uncomfortable, rushed, or any process along the way. My, my, one of my great real estate stories back in, in Seattle, Paul Calvers was our real estate agent, and we were looking at a deal. It was a crazy deal. And he finally just stopped and said, you know, this isn't worth it. Like, he got my train stopped. I can tell that Devin Cash is that kind of guy. That's what Charity and Ryan said. They said, we're so happy with Devin with our realtor, both in purchasing our new home, selling our old home. Devin's knowledge and experience helped reduce the worry in a sometimes stressful situation. Tireless hard work, kindness in every interaction made us feel supported every step of the way. You can find out more about Devin at 801-759-1495. Text or call him, 801-759-1495. If you're a home owner right now, then have Devin do a free market analysis to help determine your home value. That's obviously the first step along the way. And see what really is out there. 801-759-1495. That's 801-759-1495. It's Devin Cash Equity Real Estate. 801-759-1495. So it's 759 Jeff Hornacek, Richard Dent. That's how I remember numbers. All right, it's time to do a little crossover with the Blazers. But first, let me remind you, if you want to advertise on Locked on Jazz, you can do so. It's If you're looking for men between the ages of 18 and 44, we're 98% men. We're about 80%, 78% between the ages of 18 and 44. I think the rates are pretty reasonable. Uh, The inventory is filling up between now and the end of December. So if you're interested, email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. That's dlock09 at gmail.com. I'm David Locke, host of Locked on Jazz. And I'm Eric Garcia-Gunderson, host of Locked on Blazers. And we get to hang out a whole lot together because we're going to do the preseason thing like twice and then opening night. So I figured we probably should find out how each other's teams are at this point before we start training camp, Eric. Right. It's, it's a, you know, right around probably the, the third week of October, we'll start to get sick of each other when it comes to see, you know, seeing each other so much. And I have a sneaking suspicion that we could very well end up spending the first week of the playoffs together. You know what? That that could definitely happen. I could definitely see one of these teams getting getting the 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 four five slot, maybe or even the three six. Who knows? Do you think Portland's better? I mean, everyone thinks the Jazz are better. There's no, I don't think that's any debate with what they did. Do you think Portland's better? 
I think on the whole, just in terms of all around talent, I think they are better. Whether they will perform better than they did last year, um, whether the pieces fit as they hope that they will fit, that's another question. But I do think that just pure talent level, like the team's 2K rating is higher, I think. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I'm not sure I totally buy that. I, I don't get – I'm not sure I understand how Evan Turner works. I don't want anyone taking the ball out of the hands of Damian Lillard or C.J. McCollum. Like, if I'm the Jazz and I'm playing the Blazers and you tell me that Evan Turner is going to handle the ball, I like that. That's – you know what? And in, in, in that proposition, whether it's Damian Lillard or C.J. McCollum or Evan Turner, I totally – understand that and they are paying him a lot of money I do think he fits so much better as a a six man coming off the bench and I know they're paying him starters money but they're also paying Crab a good amount of money and they did pay Harkless a pretty good deal too and I know that they haven't figured that out but I do think that Turner will help when one of the two you know, guys that you really always want the ball in their hands when one of those two guys is off the bench I think that's when he'll really shine it's going to be a question how he fits. Uh, I, I doubt that he fits very well alongside both of them, though, uh, when they're on the floor at the same time. Well, also because he can't shoot. So, I I mean, I would right. be more than willing to have him be on the floor. So, Because uh, the Jazz were the ones who got the firsthand exposure of how incredible the Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum pick-and-roll offense was in about the second game of the season last year, I think it was. So the Jazz... Jazz lost the home opener to Portland last year. Everybody in Utah freaked out. And I remember walking out of the arena uh, with Antonio Harvey and saying, you know what, you guys might be really good. Like it was, I didn't feel like the Jazz just got beat by some team that was terrible. I got the feeling that, the, that Terry Stotts was actually on to something. Yeah, that, that was a, a very interesting point in the season because the Blazers, you know, they beat the Pelicans and then they lose two to Phoenix and you know, and then everyone's like, "Oh, here Phoenix is pretty good." But then they they kind of turned it around against in that game against Utah, and I think that's when they finally saw it click. And to them to do it at Utah, where they've had so much trouble historically as well, you know, throwing that in there, just the Blazers in general, the fact that they were able to play so well, um, really was impressive. And really, I thought I agree. I think it, it it wasn't the win of a team that you were like, okay, you know, they just got hot and that was it. You know, they they had a little something there that looked like it was sustainable. Give me some insight because I look at the Jazz and think they're a great deal better. They've kind of what they've done to me in this offseason is dreamy. Um, I'm a huge George Hill fan and have always thought he was like the perfect next step for us. And um, and I still and I actually just even being around him here early, Joe Johnson kind of have an admiration level. So so I'm kind of dreamy, but the one thing I worry about with the Jazz is the fact that they haven't ever won an important game as a unit, yet Portland last year had never won an important game as a unit and somehow were able to have that season. How did they do it? What In retrospect, what can the Jazz learn from what Portland did last year as a team that came together and won having never won important games to get before? You know, I, it, it, it's really hard to, to pinpoint it, but what I think that they did best is they really are just exceptional at not making the same mistake, you know, too many times in a row. I felt like they would always fix one thing and then another thing would maybe slip. But then, you know, you go around and you start fixing things one after another, 
And eventually you have less other things that are going wrong. And I feel like the Blazers just did a really good job, whether it was, okay, it was really bad turnovers one game, then they wouldn't turn it over. Oh, our defense was terrible. Then their defense is a little bit better. Oh, you know, Damian Lillard is doing too much with the ball. Let's let's get him in some dribble handoff situations. Let's do something else. And and I think that the Blazers just did a really good job, and I think Terry Stotts is a big reason that they're so good at this, is just the ability to learn from mistakes. And, you know, I don't know if this is necessarily the Jazz's problem, that they repeat the same mistakes over and over again, but I think the Blazers' strength lies in the fact that they make mistakes, but they are they don't get discouraged by them, and then they also learn from those mistakes to not, you know, repeat all of them over and over. Because I remember I go last year, you know, they started 11 and 20 and were blowing fourth quarter leads, you know, every night almost. And then, you know, they slowly start to pick up the pieces. And I don't know if that's where the Jazz are lacking. I and mean, where do you think they need to go to kind of take that next step in just being able to kind of close out games and things like Which, that? Everyone's talking about the Jazz last five minutes of games, Eric. But the problem for the Jazz, in my mind, is the first 43 and that's mm-hmm. why I think all the moves they made are so mammoth. The Jazz lost the most games of any team in the NBA that were within five points in the final five minutes, but they trailed going into that period in almost all of them. And that's the misnomer. Now, the ones they led, they ended up only being 500 because they lost to Chris Paul and they lost to Tim Duncan and they lost one to Steph and they lost one to LeBron. They lost to, you know, if you go back and look at those losses, it's to Chris Paul taking over a game, it's LeBron taking over a game, it's, it's, you know, just those players and they don't have that guy. Portland's got that guy and Damian and, and Gordon doesn't have that yet, that late game element that Damian has to it. Uh, and so they, I think that they just, their problem is the first 43, that instead of being down three going into the final five minutes, just be up three and you'll be fine. Yeah, and that's really interesting. And I feel like, it, you know, those clutch stats are super, super easy to cling to, especially when things aren't going well. And that's, you know, I think the Blazers, that their problem last year was that they would get uh, they would get such good leads going into the fourth quarter and then they would kind of just lose it all of a sudden. And, and I think also too, I think it's, it's interesting that you point, you know, to Damian Lillard, cause I think Gordon Hayward, you know, skill wise, I think everyone would, you know, say that he's, you know, one of the most talented players in the league, but I think the Blazers also have another guy. Like I think CJ McCollum is like really big time. I mean, I really think that he could, he's a guy you can throw the ball to and you can trust to do, pretty much anything with the ball and he'll he'll get a basket almost every time and I think that you know is another huge factor that you have two guys that just feel so comfortable just being able to get a basket whenever you they need to by the way just in fairness to Gordon uh and defend Gordon a little bit uh I think if you dig into the numbers on Damian Lillard and Gordon Hayward and you compare the numbers of the two they're actually late game numbers are pretty similar clutch play last year Damian Lillard shot 39% in the final 5 minutes of a close game and 34% from 3 and Gordon Hayward's numbers were every bit as good as that uh mm-hmm. and if you know if if Hayward in those same time periods was 43%, only 28% from three. So they were very comparable. So maybe unfair for me to say, you know, I always feel like you you see Dame shot against Houston in the playoffs, and then you also feel like every other star in the league's making shots because that's what you see on Sports Center. You never see 
the guy missing on SportsCenter. You only see your own guy miss. And I think that that's a little bit of a misnomer. So I may have been a little unfair there uh, to Gordon late in games. And maybe this year when they're up three all the time, we'll see that they are different. Do you think Joe Johnson still has the capability? That's the question I have. Joe Johnson has always been one of the best late-game players in the NBA. The only question is, does 36-year-old, 37-year-old Joe Johnson still have that in him? I, I could see it. I, I think he could still get to his ISO spots, you know, if he needs to. And that's a, that's a great weapon for the Jazz to have too. And they're not asking him, you know, they've got so many talented wings there. They're going to be bringing, you know, XM into the fold at point guard, obviously, but he has the position, the size to play two. Uh, I, I think if they, if they just you if, if they can use Johnson in a way where they don't have to rely on him heavily, kind of get him in there, you know, early, late, you know, early, fourth quarter, late third, maybe if he gets hot, you let him rot, you, you ride him a little bit. I think he could, I think the, I think adding him and Boris Diaw were both, and even George and George Hill as well. That's going to be so many good crunch time options for the jazz to have this season. He's Eric Garcia Gunderson of Locked on Blazers. I'm David Locke, Locked on Jazz. Remember, the Locked on Podcast Network has every NBA team covered for you. If you're an NFL fan, there's great coverage top to bottom across the board, whether it's Locked on Seahawks, which is now out and available to you, or Locked on Broncos. Make sure you grab those. All right, so I listened to one of your podcasts recently. You think Myers Leonard is the like X factor that changes the Blazers this year a little bit? I absolutely do. I, I think that he, you know, he really had, uh, a tough year last year. He, he got hurt early, then got hurt late. And the fit with him, they tried to slot him in as the starting power forward, didn't really work. I think they're starting to realize with a change midway last year where they had him guarding centers and had Ed Davis guarding power forwards that he's really a center at 7'1", 245. I mean, that's what he should play. And I think that they need him to take that next step defensively because he has the physical profile that nobody on the roster has at 7'1", 245. Defensively, the potential to really be an anchor with that physical size. And then it also, the fact that he can knock down threes at the rate that he can, he can also pass the ball a little bit and take advantage of mismatches here and there on offense. I think he could really be an X factor for them. I think if they want to get to that next level, I think he's the kind of the the piece that can get them there. Here's the thought I had that might be contrary or not understanding the team. I just don't think he passes the ball well enough. And what I love about Plumlee is how well he passes. So any minute in which Plumlee's off the floor – I'm kind of pleased with it because I maybe I'm wrong on this. I just think Plumlee's such a uh, a f- uh, game impactor with his passing. I think that's going to be a huge question. Is you know what is going to be most valuable? Is it the ability to initiate the offense and handle the ball and make passes with Plumlee, or is that space? And I think the one place where you could really see if Evan Turner could potentially be effective as a ball handler, I know that you're not a big fan of his game, but if you have Myers Leonard out there providing spacing that you would otherwise get from a wing player, that could free Turner up to kind of do the passing that Plumlee does. Now, if they get Leonard, then Turner maybe makes a little bit more sense with the, the two dynamos in the backcourt. But 
I I really think that Plumley is a great player and the passing is super valuable. But if you can get that shooting from center and make up that passing in another way, I think it could be really hard for teams to contend with because there's not many teams that you know are game planning for a, a center who can shoot threes the way Myers Leonard can. Because I'll be clear, I don't. It's not that I. I don't. It's not that I don't believe in small ball. I guess I don't actually believe in small ball. I think small ball is all hype. I believe uh-huh. in skill ball. What's happened in the game is that you have to have five guys on the floor who can do, who can do a little of everything. And when you suddenly have multiple non-passers on the floor, it becomes very very difficult to play. And so that's that's I guess my thing is where I these like Mark Gasol and Miles Plumley and these bigs that can pass just open up everything. And particularly when they conduct it from the high post. The way uh, Plumley was able to, I mean, they killed the Jazz last year on a bunch of late game plays where Plumley comes out, catches the elbow. One Rudy guessed, and Plumley turned and went to the rack. Another time he flips it off to Damian Cutting, where you know, I think it was Rudy again may have overstepped a little bit the wrong direction, and so then Lillard has the the route to the basket. If you don't have a passer there, it can't happen. And same way Conley without Gasol is just not the same guy. I just believe in the passing. Of bigs, it's what I worry about with the Jazz. It's not that Gobert and Favors don't create space; it's that they're two non-passers. You know, and I, I think Myers Leonard, to his credit, is is a pretty good passer. I think where Plumlee really separates himself is his ability to put the ball on the floor and 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 make those decisions in a way that more a guard would do. I think that Leonard can pass when it's just the act of passing. And he's not really asked to put it on the floor. I think where we really saw Plumlee shine, like against the Clippers, for instance, is, you know, DeAndre is blitzing the pick and roll. He's going to get the ball with a whole lane, a whole, you know, half a court to work with dribbling the ball. And that's when he can really, really shine. So it's going to be really interesting because I think, you know, I think their ceiling is a little bit higher with Leonard, but I think, you know, they're, you know, just getting that consistency every night. I think you can definitely count on Plumlee. So it's a really, it's going to be a complicated calculus because you also have to consider, you know, they gave Myers Leonard a four-year deal and uh, Mason Plumlee is a free agent at this coming season. And after paying a lot of money to a lot of guys last year, you know, do they want to pay that to, to Plumlee? And, that, you know, they may have to. Uh, so if you're saying Leonard is there, like, so if I ask the question on both these two teams, give me the scenario where the Jazz are – you know, not just improve, but suddenly become like great. Like, not nah, you know, maybe knock, knocking. Let's say knocking. This is a huge jump for the Jazz, but knocking on the two-three area instead of just making it to four, right? And the same thing for the Blazers. If you're knocking, so what's interesting to me is you're saying that for the Blazers, for them to go knock on that next step. Clippers, here we come, right? Clippers, we're right behind you. You slip up and have another something go wrong or get old, and we're going to come get you. You think it's Myers Leonard. What I think is interesting on the jazz end of things is I've been asking this question to everybody in the jazz front office and around the jazz. Like, what is it that makes this team become special? Not just much improved, but where I'm talking about. And you know what? I get a different answer from every single person. And I can't figure out if that means, wow, there's a lot of different case scenarios where the jazz become really exceptional, or it just means there's too many things or they're just too hard or it's just too unrealistic on what it is. Cause so, like, I think it's that Rodney hood and Rudy Gobert start for the second time in their careers. They, they had never started in their lives last year. 
And so they'll be playing roles they've already played before and be so much better that I think that's the jump. Somebody else said to me, Trey Lyles is it. Another one said to me, it's Favors it's favors and the step he's going to take. And another person said to me that it's whether Rudy becomes a defensive force again. So what's your take on that? That it seems as though the Blazers, unless you have more you would add, have maybe one or two areas in which they could become that team. And yet, if I ask jazz people, it seems though there's a tremendous amount. You know, I, I, I think especially in terms of players that are, are, are contributing on a regular basis, I definitely think the Jazz have more of those guys that you can see like, well, okay, maybe this guy can go one, you know, like Trey Lyles or, you know, guys like that. And I think with the Blazers, it's, it's interesting because I said Myers Leonard and it really, I think he's really the key. I mean, cause I, I feel like, I, and I'm guilty of doing this too. And I know that he's so young and you can really fall into that trap of doing it. But I think Vonley is also a guy that a lot of people look to. It's like, hey, this guy has, plays the position, has the, you know, the raw skills. If you could put them all together, but there's really no proof that he can do that yet. And so like, I don't really want to consider him, but I think the Jazz do have more young guys where you're like, okay, they have, you know, really incredible upside, like Gobert like favors if he can stay healthy you know it, it, it's it's guys like that that I think the jazz have a little bit more of but I do agree that I think you know maybe I think with some of the the guys that the blazers have already they're already at a pretty good level whereas I think the jazz they really are at a level already where I think they're going to be competing with Portland for that division spot you know even though it doesn't really mean anything but I, I do think that they have maybe more guys that maybe in a playoff scenario, you could be like, okay, well, if that guy just changes a little bit, then that changes our whole equation. And I think that the Jazz have, you know, a lot of guys that can hit an upside. Maybe that we're in a in a playoff series that you're like, wow, like that really takes them to the next level. Then I think maybe, you know, Portland has on the bench of guys that just have not um, totally evolved quite yet. Well, that's probably a good place to end it. It's interesting, by the way, when you look at last year, the Jazz were plus one point eight in point differential and the Blazers were plus 0.8 in point differential. And most people think that's a in- better indicator. So that's an interesting little kind of side thing that a lot of people would say actually, right. That the jazz despite yeah. being four wins less than the Blazers are actually point differential wise, maybe better team. I'm not sure I buy that. I think it really is how the game ends every night, but it's an interesting thing. Well, Eric, keep up the great work on locked on blazers. You can catch him, uh, subscribe to him on iTunes. Thank you very much for your time today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And everyone's subscribed to locked on jazz as they already do. I'm sure.